Welcome to episode four of Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Hello, and thanks for joining me. I'm Oliver Happy, your host today for this discussion about security in the software-defined data center. As always, head over to cloudinsiders.fm for show notes and other giveaways. Now let's get into it. Today, I'm here with two consultants from the Extrovert Practice. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen. We've got Greg Robertson, who's a lead consultant with the practice, and we've got Gareth Hogarth, who is a senior consultant. So gentlemen, perhaps we start with you, Gareth. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background of the kind of industries you've worked in and what your areas of expertise are? Yeah, sure, thank you. Um, yeah, so I've, um, I recently joined the Extrovert uh, Consultancy Practice. Um, I have over 15 years experience working in IT covering data center operations, consult, consultancy, with a specific focus on the software-defined data center. Um, and this covers both public and private sectors. So I think I've got a broad experience of, of some of the challenges we've seen in security um, and ongoing, I would say. Um, Good, all right, thank you. And Greg, do you have anything to say about your background? <laughs> uh, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I was about 15 years in the industry, started off just doing normal server support, as everyone else did, kind of. Um, initially, have a Microsoft background, started through the de facto MCSEs, and then kind of went there. Um, and then, yeah, moved over, ended up getting into virtualization due to the company I worked for being bought by MC, and then joined Extrovert about four and a half years ago. Um, most of the things I did was data center virtualization, BCDR, those kinds of things. That's what my uh, VCDX is in, is data center virtualization. And then for the last two years or so, been more moving into cloud and automation orchestration. So, okay, I've heard about cloud. Heard a couple of people <laughs> talk about that. Good, thank you. Maybe we'll start with you then, Greg. Um, how would you define the security debate in the in the context of the software defined data center? For security and for for the software defined data center, um, it's it's one of the important things. So, what people are always doing is they want to move into cloud, they want to expand, but a lot of people are very nervous about doing software-defined data center because they don't want to lose their data. It's about data locality. It's about protection of that kind of data, as well as trying to keep to compliance. Um, and with the software-defined data center, you're moving into things such as NSX, for example, which is VMware's software-defined networking. But a lot of the main points and great parts about NSX is micro-segmentation, is being able to protect against security, but also allow people to do those kinds of pieces. But also, I mean, one of the core parts of software-defined data center and really design as a whole and one of the main infrastructure qualities is security. So mm. whenever you're doing these kinds moving into cloud, security and people from security always have to be brought in because it's such an important part of it. Yeah, certainly. And I've got a couple of bits to add to that. So certainly what we've seen through the convergence of technology and essentially the collapsing of tiers, as it were, physical layers like you know, physical compute, storage, and now networking with NSX, we're seeing that Information flows are different. So whereas before the flow used to be north to south, through logical segmentation, we've seen that flows happen east to west. And as part of that, we're seeing an application-centric focus on the application layer, focusing on inter-VM communication and removing some of the previous barriers that we had through traditional, what I call like border guard type firewall approach. Touching on some of Greg's points there as well, the protection against data loss due to security breach. I think that's, that's a key focus. Loss of revenue uh, and the negative impact to corporate, yeah. uh, corporate brand and identity. Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of the things in the media at the moment, um, even for companies that maybe aren't running in Europe, there's, there's a lot of 
data breaches, so things like LinkedIn passwords got leaked, a lot of passwords, a lot of information is getting leaked. People are nervous about that. Also, normal people working on the ground, when they hear I work in cloud, they're like, oh, that's interesting. My, my data is, you know, I, I use Dropbox or, you know, Google Cloud or Google Drive. Where's my data go? Can someone see it? Who's scanning it? You know, is it? And that's the kind of thing of, if you're not in IT, the whole idea of software-defined data centers, but then also moving just into cloud in general, is all about the confidentiality. And, you know, I was, I was saying about data locality, that's also important. It's the importance of, especially, you know, now we're obviously all sat in the UK. The UK is just going through a Brexit. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. Those kinds of things, a lot of customers are saying, well, that's interesting. We've moved through a Brexit. What about data locality? What's happening? There's a lot of banks, there's a lot of things that run out of London, but what's happening with that? Where's, where's things moving? Um, and that's, you know, that's really important, especially places like Germany who have really strong data locality requirements. Mm -hmm. Saying, well, okay, that's interesting. You know, these data centers are based all around Europe. We have a trust with Europe. If the UK leaves, what happens with that? What happens to those governance? What happens to that compliancy? Does it change? Is it approved still? What happens with that? And are people going to have to move their data somewhere else to meet that compliance? What do you think some of the ramifications might be of the Brexit? <laughs> it, it honestly varies. That's the thing. I think nobody's really sure. So the, there is a lot of things, as I say, of... It's data, like, yeah, data yeah. locality is what you said. It's really data locality. It's meeting those kinds of things. And a lot of those compliances do come from possibly European bodies or international bodies. And those shouldn't change. They should stay the same. They're all meeting that. But especially for possibly people who are doing hybrid cloud or even public cloud, where their data centers are located is very important. Mm. Um, I know a lot of data centers obviously based in Ireland. So that kind of fits in fine for Europe. But there's also a lot of people who do have data centers in the UK. That's where their information is, especially banks-wise. And that's, that might be very different because if they're doing that, who knows if uh, as leaving Europe might also bring in a lot of different taxes, different things of people's payment details or accountancy pieces happening in the UK might not be possible anymore. And that needs to be moved somewhere else so that higher taxes, for example, not saying it might happen, but that's something that everyone's worried about. No one wants to pay more taxes than they have to. Mm. Yeah, so touching on that compliance a bit. So an extrovert, we do lots of designs for customers and we follow a methodology, an architectural framework. And part of that really does focus on security. So we'll ask types of questions to customers, to C-level execs. You know, what is your current compliance requirement? Do you have any regulatory compliance you have to adhere to? So things like encryption, if you're in a healthcare organization, uh, looking at types of encryption, so HIPAA compliancy, there's different ISO compliances for that in the UK and Europe. If you're a bank, and I know Greg done a lot of work with banks recently, then there's there's a requirement to ensure data is yeah, always encrypted. PCI, etc. Yeah, PCI compliance aspect. So touching back on the design quality, that's certainly something that we always ask a lot of people. A lot of them sometimes don't know. A lot of them sometimes have to bring in their, their auditing officer or their security officer, and they tend to have a fair understanding of that requirement. And we would then look at factoring that in any of our design decisions. Um, mm, it is. It, it's a lot of things where bringing in compliancy people to work it out. The compliancy people possibly don't understand you know, software-defined data center. So it's very important to mm. explain to them, this is how the software-defined data center works, and get them to understand, here is compliancy that's possibly been made for physical workloads, and now how am I going to apply that to something that's not just virtual, but now is possibly spanning continents, spanning different places, where is the data? The data might be spread across. No one's really sure. And that kind of compliancy of how are you tracking changes with people's data and things like that, really important to understand with the compliance people, how can we balance the, the, the benefits of software-defined data centers 
whilst also meeting your security compliance and not having your hands tied where the benefits of it are almost negated. Okay. So it's, it's really important to explain it, if you can, in layman terms to them if they don't understand. Let's, let's take a step back for a moment and for the folks at home, let's define the differences. And, and so I guess, how do the risks change when organizations move from a traditional on-premise model into the cloud? How, does, how do the security risks change? Commonly asked questions, I think there are counter arguments to either side of that. So certainly data protection and privacy are key concerns for considerations in off-premise deployment models. And there's data locality, like Greg's mentioned, and how that in turn impacts the organizational compliance to data protection models. Certainly my interpretation of, of how that may change. I think it's always a difficult question because whether you move data into the cloud or store it, or you don't necessarily have the responsibility for hosting it, because essentially that's what off-premises services do. Mm. You're essentially moving that, that responsibility to an organization. And they are typically geared up for this type of thing. In terms of geared up, I'm talking about several layers of security. You know, they have the proper procedures and process controls in place where necessarily you may not, or it may be too costly to implement. So ITIL, again, going back to those design decisions, that, that certainly feeds in well into this in terms of compliancy, risk management, incident management. I was talking to Greg about this before and how he's had a situation with a customer where that we had to make sure it was clearly communicated before entering the project, some of the deliverables and some of the constraints within working in that secure environment, things like reporting incidents and not letting them go sort of un, un, unchallenged and unchecked. Mm. Um, and, and ultimately, if you found breaking that, you could be held liable. Yeah, it. definitely. I mean, it's, I think it's, there's always a big question of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's coming into the risk in the software-defined data center is people are very nervous around possible also making mistakes. So if you can keep the data local, it's what you know best. And everyone's trying to move towards the cloud, but they're worried where they move it, is there going to be security breaches and things like that. And it's, it's the, the responsibility of the CEO and the C-levels of those companies that if there is a data breach, for example, they're reportable for it. And depending on who they are, if they're a bank, for example, I worked for a bank or I did a project for a bank recently, and we have to sign a banker's oath. So stating that if there was a breach and you didn't report it to the correct people, you could be liable for any loss. And that could amount to certain amounts. And that, those bankers are obviously quite broad. I think it was with anybody in the company because it was a bank. But that does have a very interesting thing when you're doing, we were doing a software-defined data center for them. And their data was being moved around. And when you're one of the people reportable, and if there's an issue or somebody makes a mistake somewhere, that could bring that data into danger of being released. And especially when it's a bank and it's people's details, it's their payment card information. You know, there's always a danger of um, identity theft, etc., like that, the ramifications of that are massive. And it's, a, it's an interesting question of you're trying to get people to report. If they don't report, then they're in trouble. So it's a balance of, you know, you, you want to smack them across the wrists for doing something wrong, but you don't want to do it too much and they'll never tell you. So it's always an interesting risk of it. And it's always trying to explain to people the, the multiple levels of doing security in depth. If you can do security in depth, and you're not going to need to be blocking people, but it's just going to make it secure that if there's somebody who's disgruntled within the company or somebody external trying to do something to the company, there's protections that you would have to go through so many hoops to try to get in there, you're going to find out and then people's data is kept safe. Okay. So if you were to, to step through the Greg's levels of security, <laughs> how, would that, how would that play out? The, the idea is it is multiple levels. You're doing everything from um, the physical access to information. So just the physical data centers, where you're getting into who can get in there, who can touch a rack, who can see what on the racks, um, and then moving essentially um, 
how you look up or down the slack, however you wish to look at it that way, is making sure that there's everything in there from you know, like ID detections, picking up different rogue pieces. You've got obviously antivirus, anti-malware, making sure that specific data, if things are being changed, there's change management, um, and making sure those kinds of things. Because a lot of risks from security isn't somebody who's possibly maliciously trying to do something. It's sometimes people who have gone and done a change. They haven't requested it. As anybody who's possibly read the Phoenix Project book, it's a perfect example of people making changes but no one really follows any change yeah. management there's because of that change management. Yeah. There's, a, you're, there's, a, there's an added risk and the knock-on effects of that can be, yeah, costing companies fortunes, but it's, it's multiple layers and making sure there's that, there's antivirus, there's checks on who, is in it, who has access. Um, no, no one person has too much permissions. So somebody who, you know, there's a role for somebody who can give security permissions, but they also don't have permissions to be the administrator and vice versa. So making sure that if there is a rogue administrator, he can't break something and then delete the proof of it. And, and I can certainly add to that from a data perspective, having, you know, like yourself, spent many years you know, doing that type of role from an administration perspective. What we tend to find when we're looking for trying to get a security accreditation through an ISO accreditation, would normally involve things like uh, pen testing. You know, you essentially just invite a security body into the company and say, listen, uh, these are my IP address ranges. These are my externally visible websites. Um, see if you can break them. Um, and let's discover vulnerabilities now in a controlled environment versus in a, in a situation where you've got a disgruntled employee, like you mentioned, or a body out there that's solely intended in trying to either bring down your service or impact your um, organization. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one I work for armies, and they do very much a lot of pen testing where they test all software. So they come in, they get, they go, obviously above and beyond what some other people yeah. do and do extensive amounts of time and say, here's the software, yeah. try and reverse engineer it, try and find roots in. And that's very interesting. It's, it's happened a few times for different people where they've had pen testing coming in and they've actually found out issues that the software vendors didn't even know. And in the end, the software vendors employed the person who was pen testing to help them go into more depth because they needed to know that due to security requirements and their software being used in places such as armies and banks and everybody who needs high-end security. So one of the things we do um, as well is look at risk profiles. So just focusing on the software-defined data center stack, as it, as it were, we, we work fairly closely with VMware on this and we get or have access to, in fact, configurable workbooks where we can look at the risk profile of an application, whether it be a workload or whether it be a, an infrastructure component, and then apply various levels of, I would say, security hardening to ensure that types of risks are, are mitigated. Uh, and that's certainly something I've been, in, work, work, been working with a current project on, um, and I know you've, you've done mm. that a fair amount, Greg. Just going back to what you said, um, Gareth, um, so that's a phrase that comes up quite a bit, isn't it? Mm. Um, security hardening. Yeah. What does that actually mean to somebody sat in the boardroom thinking, I need better security, my IT team tell me that, they tell me they want to harden different aspects of my infrastructure. I'm moving to cloud, what are they doing? Um, so yeah, they're, they're looking at security, and the, the hardening, as I mentioned earlier, the, the hardening can vary. Um, if you're, as um, you were saying, Gareth, VMware have specific books to link up which levels. There's three levels of security. So everybody should meet level one, which is just a general, making sure passwords are strong, the general things for the normal populace. Then you've got the level two, which is normally for banks. So it's coming in, talking about making sure that certain things are protected against, if there's any issues, making sure things are separated. And then the third level is, you're talking 
high-end yeah governments military, military yeah. everybody else and the, the, all of those with each level obviously become it becomes more difficult for things to happen so there's always a balance as i mentioned of you're doing software to find data center and it's finding the balance of you understand they have to meet security requirements and that's always taking in the security requirements and making sure it's brought up as early as possible because everybody understands and say well if somebody's making a decision you've got to look at it holistically what's the possible danger of that and then making sure that you can still gain all the benefits whilst making sure the data is really important because that's important if you have customers who are coming in and especially if you have multiple customers who are possibly competitors if you're coming in and you have two different shopping chain suppliers who are using your public cloud, they don't want their data to be on the same thing, even though the likelihood of them ever talking to each other isn't there. And that's coming into the software-defined networking, making sure there's micro-segmentation, but then also being able to work out data locality, making sure that their data isn't retained on the same so that for their compliancy, they can say, well, I know that my data isn't sat beside this person or you know, talking yeah. of Brexit, people were like, well, I don't want you know, my stuff now beside Britain anymore. Let me move it to somewhere else. Um, I've got some points on that, Greg. So one of the things that you mentioned there, and I'll just sort of elaborate on a bit more for all of the people listening, was that through this various security levels, through various configurational aspects of security, one of the things that software-defined data has given us is a lot of flexibility from a management and operational perspective. And when we, when we start enforcing some of these security requirements, some of these boundaries that we talked about, some, again, these, in quotes, configurational aspects, um, we impact some of those operational um, activities. Mm -hmm. So, and it, like you say, it's trying to find the balance between something that allowed my administrator to do this before, mm. and now we can't. Certainly. So it is, and that's the thing. When I say that holistically, you've always got to look at, essentially, the five infrastructure qualities that yeah. you and I normally design against. It's normally recommended, and it's availability, manageability, performance, recoverability, and security. And security is always the one that's always in there, but it's normally forgotten. And as you said, it's a balance of maintaining that security, but what impact are you having? Having an impact on manageability. So if you're, if you're doing something, the security that the security officer is possibly asking for is restricting any kind of manageability and making somebody's job take five times yeah. as long, is it benefit of the company now? Or is there a fine balance between the two where you can still maintain that security, but they can still be in an agile manner where they can still do their work yeah. Yeah. and still maintain it? Absolutely. And, and effectively, what we end up doing then is creating these segment the, the, these logical boundaries that inhibit the benefits we get through the software defined data center um, and and you know like you were saying before it really comes down to and is fairly key in this is that risk assessment it's about looking at these administrators who essentially hold the keys of the kingdom i mean we're talking about root users and again you shouldn't be using root you should be using a, a example an active directory account so where your account is stored in directory service database and there is a visibility of what that account does uh, that account's created a new virtual machine that account is essentially created two logical NICs, mm. that account has then created a logical bridge between two networks and therefore bypassing a security control. So that, and that is certainly something we've seen in the past and it's really about that operational complexity because, oh, the administrator did this because he needed to achieve X and he did it in the best way that he knew how and that was essentially bypassing a logical security boundary as an example. Mm. So how are you seeing customers deal with these, this, the need to draw this, this line and find this balance between security and efficiency? Um, it, it honestly varies. I mean, it is, it is part of the, the magic source, as you were, of consultancy. It's coming in there and working out. No, no customer is the same. It's based on where, where they are currently. So possibly their security is really good. Maybe it's very lax and they're not aware of that. So, you know, as, we, as it was brought up, you know, you, you're kind of, as Gareth is bringing up, you, you've 
brought in a lot of risk checks and risk assessments. And that's, it's a lot of that also coming in, getting a risk assessment, but then finding the balance between it. And that's why I say bringing in security officers, bringing in people who possibly don't understand this new you know, cloud technology coming in. This is great, but you know, I'm worried about where it's going, what's happening with it, and being able to explain and work with them to say, in a high level, as you know, non-technical as possible, here's a, here's a square, this is where your data would be going, and this is protected by this firewall or this protection. You know, you're going to your example around making sure things have service accounts and Active Directory, you know, that, not just having that, but making sure also the passwords to those security accounts are kept in a password vault, and you can only get that password vault by getting approval from a, from a change manager. And that, as a, that comes down to the multiple layers of security. To have to go through all of that sometimes does slow down, but it also maintains that security that if somebody was angry that they didn't get their bonus, they're not going to be able to go in and delete something because by the time they try to go through all the hoops, someone's going to say, well, why are you asking for this? And they're going to realize, well, I'm actually cooled down now and I don't, I'm not as upset about losing my bonus anymore. So examples of securing environments. I've recently done some work for a, an infrastructure body for national infrastructure. One of the key aspects of that, they were running a type of uh, SCADA workload, and that SCADA workload is susceptible to things like the Stuxnet virus. And we've known historically there's certainly been some incidents around the Stuxnet virus impacting types of workloads. And it was essentially through uh, USB connection, so USB pass through, and allow the propagation of, of the malware through that. So by, by USB pass through, do you mean the ability to for data to transfer onto a USB without the user authorizing it? Yeah, so USB pass-through is yeah, ma making sure that the data can't be taken. So whereas I was saying you were talking about different layers and being able to do the physicality of it, it's making sure that if somebody's talking into the system, they can't make, they can't say copy and paste out of a virtual machine onto another, onto their local desktop, and then from their local desktop, plug in a USB and take that data. And that's where a lot of people are nervous. and. You know, that ability to cut and paste out of virtual machines, for example, is a security piece that you put in. You make sure that people can't look in something, do something, copy and paste it, and move it out, because then they're, trans they're transversing different security layers. And that's really important. I mean, losing things like NSX to ensure that things are isolated and contained. If people then try and copy from one machine to a jump host, from a jump host out, it's going to get blocked. And that's, that's what you're, you know, that's kind of, keeps going back into the different, the multiple layers. If you can keep making sure there's multiple layers are in there mm. and also checking who's sent, trying to send things across, the abilities of that and pushing everything from, you know, up the layers between the layer four and seven of using things such as a Palo Alto and other technologies, it's making sure that those kinds of data in the software divine data center are, you know, certain traffic types are allowed, but other traffic types aren't. And all of that's checked. So if somebody tries to do something that they're not meant to be doing, it's flagged up and it's also logged. So then when somebody starts looking through the logs, they can see, well, somebody's tried to do something, possibly by mistake or possibly maliciously. And that, that kind of reporting and tracking of that information is really important. Yeah, so, so, so like a vulnerability assessment, um, absolutely. And I don't think a lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. um, certainly from the organizations that I've seen, yes, you've got, you've got defined security teams, mm. uh, you've got firewall administrators, you've got you know, networking teams where we see them now having to look a lot more at firewalls. So um, yeah, I mean, moving, moving the data across, but there's a lot of yeah. things where you, you're checking those logs and you're doing the log scanning. So uh, technologies like ArcSight, where you, you, would, you would push the logs to a certain syslog provider and then products like ArcSight will then actually scan those and based on different patterns, those, are, those will then alert and can open a ticket sent to somebody, by the way, I've noticed this data in here, 
this person shouldn't be trying to hit this or going back to Gareth's example of certain AD accounts and service accounts, if someone's using a service account, then they go, okay, well, I've noticed this service account is being used in the logs. Let's look and see if there's a change that's been based on, can I have access to this? Actually, this person didn't ask for this password. They must have written it down on a post-it and they're using this out of, out of term, which might be malicious, might be them trying to circumvent a system because you know they want to get home to watch the latest TV show or something. So they think, I don't want to wait three days for someone to allow me this. And also linking back to the three days, that's the balance that you've got to work with people is you've got to bring in levels of security, but also make sure that manageability is there. So if you're going to bring in the security, make sure there's SLAs. So if somebody asks for a password, it's not going to take three days for that password to happen. You know, if you, if you ask for it, there has to be a certain level of someone's going to respond to you within a certain amount of time so that you can do that work within that change window or else the whole system closes down. And certainly it helps from a troubleshooting perspective. If you've got dedicated service accounts or dedicated accounts to be used for types of activities, types of actions, having, and be, having the traceability back to an account when it was created, who created it, I think that's fairly key. We've often seen, and certainly through some of the discoveries we do, the same account will be used several times. Uh, and the same password will be used several times. Mm. So from a traceability perspective, there is no accountability. That you, you can't, you, it's, it's difficult to identify where that's come from, who's been using it, other than when it was used. Certainly, and that's the thing is, also going into those is using password systems to be able to retain those passwords. Those passwords can also be managed. Someone can request the password, be able to do their work within that change window, state within the password system, this is how long I need the password for. And after that time has expired, unless they've, Unless you've gone and said, I need this for an extra hour and got approval for that, that password will be managed and changed. So after their change window, if they try and log in the next day and do something, that password will have changed and they won't be able to do it anymore, which is giving that level of confidence of, I can do the work, but if somebody's got the password, they've written it down on a post-it and they try and use it or that post-it's picked up by the cleaner, I'm not saying cleaners are maliciously trying to take down people's businesses, but somebody gets that information then no one's going to be able to use that because that password have changed and it's also maintaining the security of passwords so that people aren't using the same password for 15 different things. Okay, so if, let's just say I'm starting to think about security in my mm -hmm. business. I've got no time. My ops team's got no time. The DevOps team is keeping all of us fairly busy these days. <laughs> what are the top five things I should be thinking about? Um, I think the first one is kind of tying back to something Gary said earlier, is coming in and doing a risk assessment. So coming in and working out Where's your baseline? Where are you? You might be you might be really secure. Maybe you might be too secure, if that's even possible for some people. But that's the thing, is working out that baseline. What mechanisms do you have? Are you using them efficiently? You might be taking all these logs, but they're not going to a syslog. It's doing that that baseline, I think, would be the, the primary starting point if you're ready if you're going into an existing environment, for example. Okay. Yeah. So I can certainly add to that, Greg. So a lot of the time when we do some of these engagements with, with customers, the first thing we'll try and do is really that discovery. I think the discovery exercise is really key. So it not only tells us, um, obviously, you know, factoring, factoring the meeting with the customer and, and, and the clients to work out where they want to be, having that discovery phase, that initial, these are the type of assets I've got mm -hmm. as a security asset, this is the version they're running, mm -hmm. and then it's, it's, we can then quantify that, oh, you're four versions out or you're, you're at several versions out, and then you know, highlighting that to the customer, you know, you've got X amounts of workloads that are essentially running an older version that are susceptible to things like um, some of the SSL bugs we've seen recently. Mm -hmm. um, so 
uh, that's certainly something that I've seen a lot of and I'd certainly recommend is that doing that initial discovery phase is really, really important. And I'm extrovert, we've got some really useful tools around that mm. through, through the Sonar development. So that's certainly something I, I spend a lot of time focusing on with the customer, just understanding what they've currently got, where they want to get to, mm -hmm. and what and that meets in the middle is essentially some of the architectural pieces and some of the work that we, we, we do with them. Yeah, and then taking, taking that information, going to the next step would be getting that basis, working out what they have, and then making a plan around that. So depending on how many things need to be changed, is it going to be that there's several versions behind? Is there, you know, is there possibly more systems in there that they didn't realize? Um, these, these things happen where a lot of companies have done acquisitions, and they don't realize how many systems have actually been spun up, especially linking back to your question around DevOps. People are building machines, taking machines down, installing who knows what on there. And those, those risks, some people don't know. People, I've had examples where I've gone into a customer, people have asked for virtual machines for them to do testing, and then all of a sudden, they've actually gone and made those machines something else to be able to go and do a whole bunch of coding. And that code on there is never put into a repository, and that's a risk from a DevOps perspective of loss of code and loss of you know, intellectual data. But also, wherever that machine is, is also a risk of whatever's been put in there might not be secured. And that's, that's intellectual property that if you're, you're going to link it into the cloud, for example, and you're moving that intellectual data into the cloud, you might be worried of where that goes. Has someone forgotten about it? Have they made the password very simple for this? And that's, you know, there's always the danger of that. So taking that baseline and then working out a plan around how we're going to fix this, what's there, what can be done better, and what can be done whilst making sure that you know, your operations team's busy, your DevOps team's busy. So you don't want to, you don't want to restrict DevOps. You, know, you, want, you really want to go into the continuous delivery, continuous integration. So the Software Divine Data Center allows you to do that in an autonomous way. Also, by doing it in an autonomous way, you're also making sure that if the base that you're building that off of is hardened and secure, then from there on you have a peace of mind of where you move forward, it's going to be contained. And then we do implementation. Well, the, so so that would be presentation. So present, you know, feeding that back to the customer. I think that's important. We report that back, and I think it's it's about the gap analysis, isn't it? So yeah. discovery, uh, you know, working out the customer's vision and where they want to get to in terms of their security nirvana, and if and they have to meet specific compliance. With we, we, you're taking into some of those constraints about compliance, PCI, uh, HIPAA, or ISO, mm -hmm. and then from that, you know, building a security solution around those. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's taking that, putting it, making sure it's implemented. And then also, once you've implemented it and it's gone through, going and doing that assessment again. Going in, especially if you're doing yeah. the compliance, is now going back and doing that proof. It's all about validation and proof. Is once you've done it, go back and say, this was the baseline we based it on. This is what we needed to meet if it's either just, you know, security hardening in general or if it's compliancy. And then once you've gone in the end, especially if you've got compliancy officers, is you have to prove it to the auditors. You have to go in and prove, okay, and this, this happens a lot where a lot of companies, this compliance has to be done quarterly, where every quarter they have to meet certain pieces where it has to be checked again and again. I've done it numerous for my recent bank where they have to do it again and again. So you've got a, you've got a whole security checklist, a, a technical state compliance monitoring, so TSCMs, and you've got to go in and make sure that that can be done again and again. They do the same tests, they know their results, they know specific methods of how to do those, and that that's comes into the operations team. So it's making sure that every month they can prove to the auditors things haven't changed, but also the requirements of what they had to meet has been actually met. And it's a, it's that continuous cycle, it's continuous maintenance of it, 
And then, yeah, moving into the last point of making sure no one has God mode. Um, you don't want somebody to go in, get a whole keys to your kingdom, and then decide, okay, I can do everything. And then that either that person is doing too much and they have too much access, and that's a danger if they they possibly leave their system open or their accounts taken over. But also, if they're disgruntled, then that's also a danger with it. Okay, and so what, what common mistakes do you see clients making um, in security? Um, I, think, I think security is trying to balance different teams so that if someone is possibly you know, taken ill, for example, someone else can still do that work. So you're not depending also, you know, there's the risk of that also, that if one person knows everything and that person is taken ill or does whatever, then somebody else, other people know how to do all of those different pieces. And just to, just to counter that, I think if you're a small business, you may not necessarily have or can afford that sort of that, that sort of that sort of that sort of risk. Um, you know, ultimately, there's a lot of small businesses out there, and a lot of those guys or, or girls essentially have to look after their own equipment, or have to look or have the responsibility of looking after that. And yes, they may have a requirement to say, yeah, I need to be able to create new mailboxes, I need to be able to create new AD accounts, I need to be able to provision storage. Mm. Um, and security is a great thing, but again, like we were saying earlier. You, you've got to find, there's a fine balance between the, the operational impact of doing those tasks and being able to be fairly agile, especially as a business, being able to meet the needs of customers when they need it almost instantly. It's mm. that instant provisioning model uh, that we've seen through through development, et cetera, where, you know, if you can't do this for me now, I'm going to go to AWS and split, spin up 100 VMs. You know? So it's, it's really that fight between trying to find the balance between those two various levels of security. Mm. Yeah, let's just briefly talk about the, the, the move to cloud. And you mentioned the, uh, I'm presuming you're paraphrasing the, the DevOps character saying, I could just With a credit up. card. Yeah, with a credit card. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, there's 100 VMs. And like you were saying before, Greg, the, the data locality for that, goodness knows where it goes. So if you're, if you're a developer and it's essentially com- it's, it's company property, it's intellectual property that essentially encoded, codified somewhere else, uh, you know, what happens to it if there's, if, there's a, if there's an issue? What happens if there's an outage? How would you, uh, how would you get that back? Where, where, where does the data sit? Yeah, I think I think the de- the DevOps is is always an interesting one. I think DevOps has become the new hot term, the hot word for everybody wants to do. It's a kind of it's kind of you know everybody says that you know they're, they're doing it, but essentially no one really understands what DevOps is, and DevOps means different things to different people. So it all depends on your business. But being able to yeah be be agile. A lot of companies have a lot of you know, with moving towards software defined data systems, things like that. They want to bring in DevOps, and they want to be able to stop where it's taken five days to get something provisioned, where moving into a DevOps and an Agile model is allowing something to be changed very quickly on demand, but also making sure it's it's certainly structured. And secure, that's, that's the way. thing with going into a lot of the a lot of the small businesses where they want to still be able to do that, want to make sure that people aren't contacting AWS. So all of a sudden IT teams almost have to become their own service providers. So they're providing a service to their people. And that's sometimes where you've got to work with customers to make them understand, even though it might be just showback where you're not actually charging departments, but being able to say, okay, these teams are asking me to build these machines so they can do this work based on what they're using. This is what we're providing them. And this is actually cheaper than AWS and obviously data locality. And being able to show that and being able to be responsive and quick enough that somebody doesn't want to move to AWS. Because once you move, people in the cloud space, um, especially public providers, sometimes it's very difficult to get that data back 
without impacting what's running. And you don't want your data to be used and running outside of the outside of the business without it being structured and maintained. Yeah, so the question I've often had is, well, if I move my data to the cloud or an off-premises based solution, when I delete it, does my data, is it actually deleted? And I think that is a, is a, is a tough question. Ultimately, Absolutely. I would it, would, it would be my understanding that if I signed up for that type of service, that, yeah, that was in the fine print, but who's going to read the fine print? Who's going to sit there? I mean, you're going to have, you know, for the small model, for the small business, they're probably not going to sit there looking at, right, you know, it's essentially... Absolutely, uh, and if this, it is, it's moving into the whole look of hybrid cloud is what, in data locality, as we mentioned earlier, is making sure what data should stay internal. Is it financial data, data that shouldn't move anywhere? And there's other data that can be put in the cloud to allow it to you know, be able to do continuous delivery, be able to, for them to burn up workloads again and again, but it's not important. And then get the results of those and the coding and possibly make your code repository back in the local site again. So that if, for example, you lost access to that public cloud, you still have it internally. You can still provide custom, uh, services to your customers whilst still being able to use it. And that's, as I said, when you were saying about what would you do with customers, it, it really varies. It's, it's a no one thing, you know, one thing fits all. No. It's a, it's, you know, it, depends, it is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Cinderella shoe idea where it, it doesn't fit every person and sometimes everybody, you've got to kind of work it in, so. Okay, all right, guys. So just thank you, thank you for all of those comments. And as we start to wrap up now, um, any thoughts on where the future's heading in terms of security and particularly in the, in the um, software-defined data center? I think it's moving around. I, th I think it hasn't really been defined. I think it's people are working out what the cloud is. So some people are further along down the path than others. And then with based on that, working out with things such as NSX and other technologies is how, how am I meeting all these requirements that I used to be able to do internally now with these new technologies and actually the benefits of these new technologies of using yeah. things like level four to level seven yeah. and things like that, where you're actually starting to pick up these kinds of information and be able to be agile while still maintaining security. Yeah, so certainly where I see it heading in much, much the same as Greg is certainly a more uh, application-centric focus. Um, we see things like containerization now and Docker and uh, those sort of development words. And I think that the shift is gonna be away from that, that legacy border-style trust zone where you had you secured everything in your bubble but workloads within that bubble weren't secure so I think I think there's going to be a certain focus towards that I've, I know we see that with Cisco ACI so uh, so I move away from um, the traditional border style defense where you've got uh, workloads yeah so you're trying to move away from the border idea of everybody was going you were talking earlier about north south traffic and going across to that and now a lot with network segmentation moving into the you know moving away from those two Traditionals yeah. into very much a closed while where you're closed style where you're going into leaf spine. It's important to be to make sure that that increase of data, especially using things like NSX and VXLAN, where it's doing the encapsulation. It's important that that data going between the two sites is now changing. So, any other comments you'd like to make in terms of, of focusing on security for listeners' businesses? Yeah, sure. So, so I certainly recommend, and I have have to other customers of subscribing to the the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures uh, database, essentially a mailing list um, that covers a breadth of technology, not just VMware. Um, and it's certainly something I'd recommend customers looking at. If you're specifically focused on VMware, look at the, the VMware security announcements. That's another bulletin you can subscribe to. We, off, we, we, we both do, um, just to keep a breadth of any sorts of vulnerabilities that come out, specifically zero-day attacks, uh, you know, within the nature of the, uh, uh, some, of the, some of the clients we work with. 
Brilliant. All right, gentlemen, thank you both for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Extrovert, trusted independent consultants for data center, workspace, and cloud transformation. For help solving complex IT challenges and unlocking the full potential of your technology, head over to extrovert.com.